Chats from the Blog Cabin. This is your favorite time of the week with your number one one podcast. of Chats in the Blog Cabin. We have a show where I virtually invite people into the Blog Cabin to chat about life. And today we're chatting with Mary, who wrote the book, Codependent Discovery and Recovery 2.0. But before we get into that, Mary, I just want to read your little bio on the back because I don't think I could describe it any better. This says, Mary is a licensed mental health counselor and regular contributor, dailyom.com. She was interviewed in O, the Oprah magazine, in an article titled The Greatest Love about her prior codependency and rise from it. Formerly, she was a professor of singer-songwriter in Nashville at Warner Brothers, and she reinvented herself as a licensed mental health counselor at 45 years old. As a writer and therapist, she helps people get in touch with their emotions. Now, I love everything in this bio. That's (laughs) what I want to say. So welcome to the show, Mary. Now that I've said a little bit about the bio, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Well, thank you for having me on, Melissa. I am obviously recovered codependent, or I could not have written that book. Um, and a little bit more about myself is I uh, I came home to Florida after living in Nashville for a long time, and I had to take care of my parents. And then I started really, f- the codependency started resurfacing again as I was caregiving. And I remembered things my professor said, the one that told me, it's in the introduction of my book, that um, you're codependent. And I went, no, I'm not. I'm just really nice. And she goes, no, no, that people will eat you alive if you don't get a grip on your codependency, which means that, um, you know, that you give to you give out sometimes. And there's a lot more symptoms than that. But other than that, the good I mean, the good part is the, the little bit about myself is I'm just an avid adventure person. I believe that there's um, so many things we can do in life that don't don't require hearing. It's too late. Like you said, I went back to grade, uh, graduate school at 45. Are we, are we live on the, yeah. Okay. (laughs) So excuse me for coughing. (laughs) I I really apologize for that. But um, I just, I learned a lot through my years and I'm a psychiatrist daughter. So you have to be perfect when you're a psychiatrist daughter. It's a lot like being a preacher's kid. I love that. I'm I'm sure you were psychoanalyzed a lot being a psychiatrist daughter too, right? Uh, You muted yourself, Mary. Yes, and not always correctly analyzed. There is a law for therapists. It's actually an ethical law, a bylaw and a law. We can't treat our family and friends. There's a reason for that. (laughs) Because you're too close to it. Now, let's talk about the singer-songwriter before we get into your book. Because that's something like, total, like, it threw me when I read that. I was like, wow, she totally took a leap of faith and totally took a turn at the age of 45 and got your mental health degree. Yes. Well, I, I don't think it's that different and I'll explain why you ever seen in musicals when people just break out into song and dance because the emotions are so high. I think this would describe the childhood of every songwriter that I know that every songwriter I know has had, they've either had a traumatic childhood or a crazy childhood or something different that they've grown up with that they have to deal with. And so 
they just start writing songs in their head. And you just, I don't know any songwriter that could tell you how or when they started or who taught them because we all just do it as children. I think I wrote my first full song when I was 12, but I was always thinking in rhymes. I still do. There's a lot of rhymes in my book. It helps us remember things. But yes, uh, I, I dabbled in that for a while. And then I moved to Austin, Texas briefly to study with, well, to study with, I you can't study, to sit at the feet of Towns Van Zant and Jerry Jeff Walker. These were all famous songwriters of the country genre. And then I moved to Nashville and they said, oh, we can tell you've been in Austin. <laughs> you need, you know, you, you've got, you've got 10, 10 song ideas in one song in Nashville. It's one idea, three minutes. And uh, so I learned from there, but also I think writing songs is very different. I'm getting people in touch with their emotions. Because one thing we did as songwriters, we would sit in a room, share just like you and I right now, come up with a song title, come up with an idea, and we'd share and we'd write. And we made sure it was universal. Will people relate to this? You know, and, and so I don't think it's a whole lot different than working one-on-one -on -one with people in private. We're just not writing it down. And I do use songwriting therapy in my office sometimes. I use poetry therapy, writing therapy, all kinds of things like that for people. And I make meditation music still to go with my book. There's meditations that are in this book and I put them all on YouTube and I played the music and that part never really leaves you. I think music is a very healing mm -hmm. tool. So I think I kind of segued from one career to another, but I think they're very interconnected. I really like the way you just said that you use all those creative thinking ways in your in your practice because a lot of people aren't like the black and white thinkers they they're more creative people need to be able to allow their creativity to flow because sometimes it blocks them it unblocks a problem that they're having oh yes yes i'm definitely a predominantly right brainer this the creative side always said i love it that the creative side is on the right side you know <laughs> cuz people don't look at creative people as um they make fun of them. It's, mm -hmm. it's just a nice way to say it. That's a nice, I've been called every name in the book, artsy, you name it. Mm -hmm. And I always say, thank you. I'm sure you meant that as a compliment because creative people do creatively seek solutions for things such as writing songs when they're children because they, they're voiceless or expressing themselves in ways like painters do or artists or writers. Uh, I think creativity is highly underrated and we do and musicians especially we have to use our left side of our brain because music is all math we mm -hmm. have to make up melodies with eight notes or less we, wow. we do, an octave is you know not many notes it's a little more than eight notes but we're, i'm just saying that the scale is eight notes so we have eight notes to work with on a scale and we have to come up with configurations and rhyme it and make the inflection right so i don't know how we do that I couldn't tell you how we do that. Wow. It looks like you have a great combination of the right and the left brain then. I think musicians kind of have to, but um, I think everyone has that skill should they want to tap into it. Anybody can write a poem. It's Lyrics and poems are very different, but uh, if you really, really want to dabble in songwriting, take your favorite song and rewrite lyrics to it and see how it's different. It's That's the best way I can tell people to see if they have that skill. I'd love that. And with that, we need to take a brief commercial break and then we'll be right back. Chats from the blog cabin. Hit subscribe and don't miss the next episode.
chats from the blog cabin. Enjoying this episode? Leave a review now. Hi, I'm Robert Scott Thayer, author of the Kobe Manatee Children's Series, and this is my brand new song on climate change and plastic pollution. We left the Cayman Islands, they were such a great thrill, now we're off to see my cousin Quinn. With her new seagrass grill, oh yeah. Soon we saw this turtle with plastic caught on its face. We quickly solved its problem, but wow, oh what a disgrace! All this pollution is hurting our world. These greenhouse gases, they need to be hurled right out of here. Uh-huh. It's time to stop all this climate change. Our weather's turning out all so strange, wouldn't you say? Every day. Let's put a stop to this climate change. The planet be to rearrange the mistakes that we made. Turtle friends to me, God, and she just fit right in. We'll test the seahorse and Pablo the crab, and of course with my big grin, yes. Then as we travel further westward, those coral colors turn to white. I knew that this was from climate change That warming water isn't right All this pollution, it's hurting our world These greenhouse gases, they need to be hurled right out of here Uh-huh It's time to stop all this climate change Our weather's turning out all so strange Wouldn't you say, it's every day to this climate change The planet be To rearrange the mistakes That were made Bring back the sunshine And those beautiful days Without the plastic In our oceans and bays Yes we can Yeah we can work this plan Uh huh It's time to stop All this climate change our weather's turning out all so strange, wouldn't you say? It's every day. Let's put a stop to this climate change. The planet be to rearrange the mistakes that were made. It's time to save our planet and the human race. Let's put a stop to this climate 
Yes, we can. And we are back. I just thought that was the perfect commercial to put in because we were talking about songwriting and and lyrics, and that was, was perfect. perfect. <laughs> Plus effect, I am an avid scuba diver. I got certified when I was 14 years old, so uh, that's near and dear to my heart. That was good synchronicity. Yes, I mean, I have swum with the turtles all over the world. It was my only addiction with scuba diving. <laughs> I was severely addicted to scuba diving from 14 on. I just adore it. I love that. And I did not know that about it's you, Sissy. Yes, I was raised on a beach. So, I mean, we just kind of strap a tank on your back and go and snorkel. I spent my whole life um, growing up like butt on flipper. <laughs> I love that. So let's talk about your book, Codependent Discovery and Recovery. First of all, let's talk about what codependency is, because I don't think a lot of people know what that is. First, I'm going to start with what it isn't. It is not a diagnosable formal disorder in the, any diagnostic manual. And it should be because if you're codependent, you will feel ill. Uh, you will give out till you burn out and burnout is a medical diagnosis. So it's people that that say yes when they mean no, no when they mean yes. It's better to give you the symptoms um, because you, really it's a loss of self while caring for others. Yes, we do have to care for others. There are people we absolutely have to. That's compassionate. There's a big difference between compassionate and a compulsion to give. Codependency is when you feel compelled to make everybody happy and people please and be a perfectionist and you give to you give out. There's many symptoms of it in my um, book, but I think people would relate to those more quickly. There's even a spectrum to it where you can be a doormat mm -hmm. or you can be one of these controlling kind of nagging codependents. I know what's best for you. Both of those kinds of codependents are self-avoiding their own needs, their own desires, their own wants. They want to fix everybody and everything and make everybody else happy, which was perfect for me to be in show business because isn't that what show business people say? Is everybody happy? Mm -hmm. There's no people like show people. They smile when they are low. So I, I understood that, uh, you know, people think that people in show business are narcissistic, but most of them are insecure and want, want to be loved and they don't get enough love at home. So they try to seek it from external forces. So I even have a chapter in my book about covert codependence. And that's one of the ways it can come out. Doctors, nurses, entertainers, first responders, there's trauma bonds from childhood. They act out in their adulthood. Hopefully that will explain it. And there's a lot of neuroscience to codependency. You feel really guilty when you say no. Mm -hmm. I mean, not just mentally, physically guilty. It sets off your heartbeat when somebody says, will you, will you bake a thousand pies for my church social or whatever it is they've asked you to do this magnanimous that you would never ask anyone else to do? Or may I, could you bail me out of jail for the 10th time? Or, you know, could you, you know, give, give me a thousand dollars and you have $999 and you go borrow one to give them everything you own? Mm -hmm. uh, that's codependency. One author, Barbara Oakley, called it pathological altruism, like believing the best and the worst of people. I tell people that give people the, the benefit of the doubt very often, doubt that benefit because that's no good deed goes unpunished. And sometimes they get tripped up by saying, but I gave them the benefit of the doubt or heard the benefit of the doubt. Does that kind of describe it in a overview? Yeah. I mean, I just did a podcast about being people please, uh, being a people pleaser. So I think being codependent is a people pleaser. Like you Huge want component. Wow. It just, so tell me, you said you're recovering codependent. So tell me your journey to being a recovering codependent. Well, 
it, it's a long one, but being a psychiatrist child, I was the extension of my family's image. Also, I was abused as a kid in many ways, and I can spare everybody the details of that. There's some of them are in the book, but but any child who's been abused or the scapegoat child, you're meant to take a fall for the family. And when we tell people to keep family secrets, which is probably something I'll read later, um, these secrets that we keep are protecting perpetrators. So a codependent automatically learns, even if the secrets aren't that serious, that uh, that that child learns, okay, you don't matter. Everybody else matters. Protecting everyone else but you matters. So then you become people pleasing, like, please love me, please love me, please love me. Um, it doesn't always happen that way. People are born with more empathy than others. Or your empathy is right up here in your prefrontal lobe. So some people are born with high amounts of empathy or they can be taught spiritually. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And it is, but you can't give. If you have nothing to give, you must receive in order to give. Just if that makes sense. That makes so much sense. And you just talked about you were going to read a part of your book. So you want to go ahead and read a part of your book now? It, it, it may help because, you know, you asked about my recovery. And as a child, I had to learn I was a scapegoat. I did not learn that till I was 45 and went to graduate school from my professor, as I told you. Then I went to an addictions doctor because people may not like hearing this, but codependency is a lot like addiction. You feel really good when you say yes and give. It lights up dopamine in an empathic person's brain. Doesn't in everybody. Some people just hate to release things and give things. You know, they just, oh, they're Scrooges. But to uh, a codependent type person, they light up when they give people something. And then they have expectations in return, though. That's another mm -hmm. little nuance of it. Look at all I've done for you. And this is the thanks I get. You see the spectrum of it. If you give mm -hmm. and some, no one gives back and you go, oh, that's okay. It's a thought that counts is the same thing that's causing people to say, this is the thanks I get. It's, it's giving with expectations of return, which is not mm -hmm. about giving. So I had, I went to an addictions doctor, not because they don't make pills for it, but I went to see what was going on in my brain and neuroscience is very important to this book and to understanding how patterns from the past are conditioned in your brain. And the good news is you have neuroplasticity and, and, I can uncondition them. So I'll read from chapter four, which is family secrets and inner child healing. And I love Carl Jung, the psychologist. I have a quote in front of every chapter. So I will read that to you. It's Carl Jung, not me. And he's a very famous father of psychiatry who was very empathic. And he says it this way, in every adult child, in, in every adult, there lurks a child, an eternal child something that is always becoming and is never completed and calls for unceasing care, attention, and education. That is the part of the personality which wants to develop and come whole. Mm -hmm. So the whole chapter starts out with that. We always have this inner child in us mm -hmm. begging to be healed. So this is how I put it. Keeping family secrets is highly overrated. Your family is not Las Vegas. What happens in your family doesn't have to stay there. It also doesn't have to play out in multi-generational reenactment. It's surprising to see how many behaviors like physical attributes run through the generations. These aren't handed down through the generations intentionally or psychologically. Many behavioral traits are those formed 
of a biological propensity, good, bad, or neutral, you're on an amalgamation of your ancestors and influenced by your environment. You don't have to be a dismissed, abused, or neglected child to become a codependent, though it is often the case. Simply being obedient to keeping family secrets can cause a sense of shame and a need to cover up for someone. And, and here's the good part that says, it says, has anyone taught you to keep a family secret? And if so, who are they and what are they protecting? And more importantly, what was the reason given to you to protect this person? You may want to journal this or make a list of those you are protecting and for what reason. Secrets keep family peace at great expense to you. And if you're keeping a secret for someone who violated you as a child, this is far more insidious than keeping secrets to uphold a family image. This may be taking a fall for criminal behavior. And later in the book I put in there, uh, my brother passed away <clears throat> six years ago and my family secrets had to come out. They, his death was under investigation for homicide or suicide or they, they didn't know. So I said, wow, um, I had to tell all my family secrets to the state of Texas. And I'm glad the state of Texas is such a big state because we had a lot of secrets. Wow. I, I mean, there I was under penalty of perjury. And that is the birth of this. I, that was the birth of this. I wrote, I was journaling. And so the journal was the marrow and the bones. It wasn't even the bones. It was the marrow of this project, which very little of that journal is in here but it made me, I was really facing. I went on many hikes in Sedona. I took a month off and went to Sedona, Arizona and checked into a beautiful home, not checked into a facility, but checked into a beautiful home, an Airbnb home, and just walked around the red rocks for 30 days to work all these things out in my head. And it became uh, something that I said, you know, I will be a better therapist because of this, because I was a therapist at the time and I had to heal myself. I could, mm -hmm. I waited 10 months before I did that though. Do you see how codependent I was? Mm -hmm. I saw three clients right after I heard my brother passed away because they were sitting in my office and I couldn't say no. Wow. I was severe, severe, hardcore. Wow. So you already said that that whole, with your brother passing away and everything else made you journal and then that led to the book. But what made you just finally the aha moment where you're like, I have to put this down in book form. I have to push it out to the world to help to help other codependents. I was using techniques to heal myself, such as walking, journaling, meditation, exercises, affirmations, telling family secrets, going to a therapist and discussing them. Uh, and I said, these are working. So I tried, I tried them on some of my clients and they had so much relief. And so I said, well, you know, it's not a one size fits all. But I said, I've seen so many of my codependent clients get relief. It's harder to treat the ones that believe they don't need my help. You know, like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Codependents always say I'm fine. I think that's why it's not a formal disorder. I have a joke in the book. It's not a funny joke. But I said, I think it's not a formal disorder because codependents always say, I'm fine. Nothing's wrong with me. I'm fine. I'm good. Mm -hmm. No, we're not fine sometimes. And it's okay not to be okay. And I have to realize that every day I mess up and do something codependent every single day. And I, I step back and go, okay, I'm recovered. Uh, if I'm, I'm recovered from that, I recognize it and neutralize that trigger. So yes, it's very, very difficult for people to recognize it and neutralize it. 
How difficult is it now, even though you've recovered to recognize it and neutralize it? Do sometimes pretty quickly. You... Oh, okay. Well, that's good. <laughs> I interrupted you pretty quickly. I see it coming. And I do that by recognizing there's a thing in our body called a vagus nerve. So the same thing that takes your breath away at the Grand Canyon is the same thing that takes your breath away when you have a panic attack. So this is what I, this is part of the journey of what I teach my clients, because without that neuroscience and biology, you're not going to heal as fast. So as soon as you feel your chest get tight or your, your stomach, with some people it's their stomach, that vagus nerve runs out of your brain, through your face, your throat, your heart, all your vital organs. It's what gives you your gut instinct. You know, if you feel those little, oh gosh, I just... That person, every time I run that person, my stomach just gets upset. Pay attention to that. Pay attention to your tension. And by doing that, that's how I recognize it. If I, if I get around someone and instantly I just get tense or my shoulders are up around here or I get worry lines or I get stressed, I go, okay, I pay attention to my body. And then I breathe. I do breath work and I just go, okay, you don't have to say yes. Take a moment. If someone's asked you to do something that you may want to do, but you're not sure to say, let me think about that. Codependents don't say, let me think about that. No, they don't. <laughs> no, they just jump right into, yeah, I'll do it. And a lot of times I think a codependent, honestly, I want to say they sound a lot like Enneagram two. I'm a two. And that's one of the things the twos are like, they want to help everybody. They want to be helpful. They yes. want to be needed. So. Yes. And it's a beautiful skill. Compassion. We need compassionate people. This book is not about changing anybody's personality because compassion is different than a compulsion. There's compassion mm -hmm. where we need to give codependency is a compulsion to give. That's why they treat it like addiction. You get dopamine and feel good chemicals when you give and you get anxiety and cortisol and adrenaline when you don't. I mean, I have a whole mm -hmm. section on there explaining the neuroscience, a whole chapter dedicated to the neuroscience of codependency. And I made it simple for people. I always tell people I read so you don't have to, and I do research so you don't have to, and I go to MD so you don't have to. And I studied, my internship was under a, a neuropsychologist and uh, he also knew I was codependent and my professor did. So they, I loved how he used to do my internships. He didn't ask me about private conversations I was having with clients. The first thing he would say is, how are you doing? How are you holding up? And I always say, oh, no, that's not what I'm here to talk about. You go, nope, that's important. You cannot be a good counselor unless you're taking care of yourself. Wow. And he'd been at it 20 years himself, and he had a heart attack, so he would know. Oh, wow. Bringing that to our, my next question is, how do we take care of ourselves when we're codependent? You know, what kind of things, especially with the holidays coming up, because you know the holidays, you want to do everything for everybody. And yeah, sure, I'll go to that party. Yes. Sure, I'll bake those cookies or yes, yes. sure, I'll go take you Christmas shopping when I really don't have time. So how do we take care I'm going to give you the quick, easy answer. Slow down and take a break and be as good to yourself as you are to other people or you will resent every person you give a gift to. Mm -hmm. I had a wealthy family and I was a starving musician when I was in my 20s, but I was going to Neiman Marcus and Saks Fifth Avenue to give presents to my wealthy family. And by June, I might have had some of the debt paid off when I needed things myself. And I learned that much earlier in life to stop doing that. But don't give till you give out. 
take time for yourself. I think the one beautiful thing COVID has taught us, there's only, there aren't many beautiful things from this, mm -hmm. but the one beautiful thing COVID taught codependence is you have to say no. Sometimes you just have to say no. So remember that. <clears throat> Don't overstep what makes you feel good. And as soon as you feel any tension or you just want to blurt out, yes, I'll do it. And you just wish you could reel the words back in. Mm -hmm. Even if you agree to do something you don't want to do, you can reel the words back in. This is going to be a monumental eye opener to those who are severely codependent. You can call someone and say, you know, I've changed my mind. I overstepped my ability to help you. I really can't bake 200 Christmas cookies. I, I really can't this year. But thank you for asking. I use the gratitude sandwich. Thank you for thinking of me. I can't do it and do a good job. I won't be able to, but thank you for keeping me in the loop. If they keep hammering at you, <clears throat> then say no, and you will feel guilty. And that's a withdrawal symptom, just like addiction. You'll withdraw from that. And then all of a sudden, you'll, you'll feel guilty, but you won't feel exhausted. And then when you recondition yourself, then you no longer will feel the guilt either. You'll just feel peace. It's peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Uh, that's all I ever want for Christmas is peace. That's what I want to give and get. <laughs> and codependents just run around doing all the doing and they're not happy. No, they're not. And they're not enjoying themselves at all. No, you need to enjoy the holidays too. There's lots of people out there who bake cookies and you can buy them. And you're buying yourself time and happiness too. I mean, yes, there are certain traditions you can keep, but if the, the ones that are wearing you out, release them. It's not important. Important is the important thing is having memories and people and being with people, not with wearing yourself out and you can't enjoy the people once they get there. Hopefully that makes sense. It totally makes so much sense. I mean, because I honestly think that the holidays, some people come to dread the holidays because of all the things they have to do. Oh, yes. Simple is the best thing, I think. Yes. And I'm going to sit here. I'm not going to sit over here like this is a throne because as therapists and growing up in a psychiatrist's home, we have a different view of the holidays. In fact, I don't take a break until after the holidays because this is a time of year. And I do actually leave my phone on on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day for the emergencies that may occur. That was just something I grew up with <clears throat> because people do overextend themselves or they're with family members that they don't want to be with. You don't have to be with people you don't want to be with. You don't have to go to a gathering where someone who has molested you as a child is going to be. You don't have to keep these family secrets. You don't have to do these things. It feels like you have to because you've been taught that or you believe that, but this is not the point of the joy of the season. And you, if it doesn't bring you joy, either you have to limit your exposure or you have to just not be exposed at all or tell people that, you know, I'm, I'm not the same person anymore. I'm, and mm -hmm. they won't, they won't applaud you for setting boundaries, by the way. No, Don't they won't that. at all. <laughs> I can speak from experience. They won't applaud you. <laughs> they, they won't, but you can go like this yourself. Yay, Yay me. <laughs> Because when you release that and you set boundaries for yourself, you're also releasing some of the toxic thinking and the toxic toxicity around it, right? Absolutely. And when we say toxic, oh my goodness, Melissa, you you could not be more correct. It's literally toxic. We've been using the term toxic relationship for decades now. 
and modern science has proven it's literally toxic. When you're having fun and enjoying yourself, you've got dopamine, vasopressin, oxytocin, which is a trust hormone, great hormone to have, all of these wonderful chemicals, serotonin. When you're miserable, you've got cortisol and adrenaline and you have mm -hmm. adrenal fatigue, you die earlier. Codependents die earlier because they don't have enough fun. So yes, it's literally toxic to be around toxic people. It will make you physically ill. I did not know that they die sooner. So wow, that's definitely not some do. That's out there. Some do. Codependent. So wow. anyone out there who's codependent and says that, well, I, I I'm fine. I don't need to go to the doctor. Yeah, I feel I feel I feel a lump in my neck, but I don't need to go to the doctor because I'm caregiving for my parents and I'm sending my kids to school. Yes, you do need to. This is how they die sooner because they don't take care of themselves. Self-care is essential. Not all codependents do, but many, like severe codependents. Like every year on my birthday, which is actually today, oh, every year on my birthday, birthday I say, thank you. I take care and I'm glad, a pleasure to be here. This is a great birthday present for me because I'm able to tell you what I was doing this morning. I made sure I always make sure I've got all my medical stuff set up to self-care for physically every morning I meditate. So I always take care of that mentally. And then, you know, spiritually, I do something every year for myself on my birthday. When we get off here today, I'm going to take a lovely three or four mile walk. I love to be out in nature. That's the gift I'm giving myself. I was with very good friends over the weekend because I don't expect my friends to, you know, take a, this is a weekday, but, mm -hmm. um, Yes, I did something very enjoyable on Sunday with people. And it's just important that you take time to self-care because I didn't used to celebrate my birthdays. Not, I didn't. I said, oh, nobody cares that, you know, they're not important. Well, I'm 65 now and they're important. <laughs> I'm not going to have a whole lot more of them. That is so Better late true. than never. Better late than never yeah. to discover that. That is so true. Now, you mentioned earlier about being a caregiver to your parents when, when they were, um, yes, when they, when you, so let's talk about how for just talking about to the caregivers, talking about how they can take care of themselves. Oh, thank you, Melissa, because over the holidays, there's so many people on a, oh, like, I, like I said earlier, I'm so cognizant of the holidays and people who have to care give when everybody else is look, looking at Christmas trees and the lights, there's just people exhausted. My parents, from the time they got ill, and they both got ill around the same time, to the time they crossed the veil, as I like to put it, was about seven years. So mm. I pushed wheelchairs for about seven years. And I looked in the mirror one day, and I said, oh, this is how people get old, taking care of the elderly. I also was going through a divorce at the time. I was divorcing the narcissistic man I had been married to. So I was stressed out and burnt out. And I walked in the emergency room and the nurse said to me, what's wrong? Are you okay? And she called me by name. If the ER nurse knows your name, you might be codependent mm. because she handed me a brochure to get home health care help. She said, you can't do this by yourself because I didn't even live close to my parents. I was two hours away. She said, we've got them when they're in the hospital. This is the time for you to go to sleep and take a break. We've, we're taking care of them here. And I, I learned how to ask for help. And I thought I was going to die. You know, I can handle this. No, I really couldn't because my mother always told me I could do anything. And I had something that I said to her when I went through the process of getting better from codependency. I said, yes, ma'am, I can do anything, but I can't do 
everything. I love that. And that is the premise of what started this whole, this whole book and this journey with them. I had to take care of them. I don't mind, but I also, it was difficult for me to ask for help. But when I did, then I could open a practice. Then I could really have a practice of self-care. It wasn't easy. It was not easy. I did feel guilty, but I had to push past that false guilt, realizing that if I didn't care for myself, I couldn't care for my parents either. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because what happens if you ended up in the hospital? I almost did. Down? I almost did. I, I Also, I looked in the mirror one day, and I know someone out there is going to relate to this as a parent or a caregiver. I said, well, my name is no longer Mary Joy. My name is, hi, I'm Gloria and JB Joy's daughter. I didn't even say my name. I was saying the person, people's name I was caring for because I wasn't doing anything for myself. And then I did something that was a page turner for me. I don't even enjoy going to Disney Springs that much. I don't live far from Disney. And I realized I was just surrounded by hospice nurses and wheelchairs and lift chairs and emergency room visits. And I said, this isn't good for my brain. I hadn't started my career yet, but I did have the degree. I, I mean, I had to pause everything to help my parents. And so I snuck over to Disney Springs and I didn't tell anyone because I wanted my brain to see that there were little children living, happy, laughing. I wanted to see happy, loving, young families. I, I had to get my brain away from the hospital beds and the gurneys. I snuck a half an hour to an hour and I said, I snuck, stole. We shouldn't have to steal and sneak these yeah. times. I shouldn't feel guilty about that. There's no shame in taking that time because I wasn't having fun at Disney. I, I couldn't, I was just constantly worried. Caregivers aren't just caregiving, they're caregiving and worrying. They go to the mm -hmm. store and they worry. <clears throat> they do something for someone and they worry the whole time they're worrying. So I just had to give my brain a break to see that there are, there will be a day when this will cease mm -hmm. and things will get better. And they did. Well, I just love the fact that you recognize that, that you recognize that, you know what, I need to get away to, to show my brain that things will be okay in the long run. Well, I wouldn't have recognized it without going to graduate school. No therapist in the world ever told me about <clears throat> the neuroscience of, of uh, codependency. If I didn't know about the neuroscience, I would not have gotten in my car and driven that 25 minutes to get to Disney World. I wouldn't have. I'd have just maybe taken a walk, maybe just taken a break. No, I really needed to have a radical change of environment. Didn't change the way I felt, but it was keeping my brain from going into PTSD symptoms of thinking there's only people dying. My, my whole world is just watching two people pass away. So hopefully that helps someone out there. Cause I really was a severe codependent. <laughs> Absolutely. I was an abused wow. kid. I was an abused spouse. And I said, okay, enough of this. I'm going to be a healthy whole human being. Just like that book said, just like Carl Jung said, there's a child in there always looking for wholeness and balance. And I hope somebody out there will relate to this. Abused or not, just you, if you're overdoing, overgiving, oversharing, overcaring to the point of your own fatigue and, and burnout, just slow down. Even if you can't stop, please slow down to your own comfort level. Just slow down and take inventory 
start some bullet points and start with gratitude for the, you're compassionate, you're loving, you're kind, but even, you know, it's Christmas and even people who don't believe in the Christmas story, I'm just going to use an example What you know, I don't want to offend anyone, mm -hmm. but um, Jesus had to take breaks. <laughs> Mm -hmm. He went into the mountains and he went to the beach. He did. He snuck off from the crowds and took breaks. So um, there's a good uh, role model for you to sneak off. If he had to sneak off and take a break, as do all great leaders, our president, mm -hmm. if you don't want to argue it spiritually, uh, our president has to go on breaks. People get mad when the president takes a break. People get mad when their doctors play golf. I want my doctor to play golf. Please go play golf. So that when you see me, you're all rested up and okay. have your head cleared out. That makes sense. That is so true. And now you mentioned earlier some techniques and you talked about journaling, but in meditation and affirmations. Yes. So let's, let's touch on those. Well, I believe in making things easy because codependents do everything the hard way because they're taught to, right? Do everything too much. So in the back, in fact, I have the book here. I don't know if I can get a good glimpse of it on camera, but they even made it so easy. My publisher, there's bullet points at the end of every chapter. So hopefully mm -hmm. you can see that. Each list, these bullet points are very important because you're putting on the left side of the list what you don't want in your life. And every chapter will guide you into your own self-help. And on the right side, you're, you're writing the opposite of what you do want, such as I just opened to this one. Um, this is uh, how I physiological react and how I can respond authentically. We put an example here for you, make it really easy. Uh, I am tongue-tied during conversations. The opposite would be, I can be at ease while verbally expressing my true self. What a concept. So what happens at the end of this book, you're going to discard the left side of the list with a ceremony at the end. You're going to keep the right side. So you've written your own self-help book at the end of this in 10 pages, pretty much 11 pages. You're going to have 11 bullet point lists that you've written, not journals. I don't make it hard. Mm -hmm. Anybody can write 10 things they don't want mm -hmm. and deduce what they do want. So yes, that helps. Meditation really helps because it calms your brain. All my meditations are on YouTube in this book. You don't even have to read them. You just go to my YouTube channel. You just lay on your bed and it says them for you. And they're, none of them are over 12 minutes long. They're like between five to 12 minutes long. I don't want to make it hard. Codependents make things way too hard, <laughs> which I was one of them. You can make it easy. You can, you can, you can have an easier life and not feel guilty. Because the dis-ease to please, dis-ease to please, you just ease up on yourself and everybody else and life just gets easier. It just gets better. And you're speaking from experience, so people should listen to you. <laughs> uh, yes. Hey, I was so codependent. Seriously, you cannot imagine what I went through in my marriage. I was married to 20 years for someone who did, just, oh my goodness, he all oh, the money. If we had $5, he'd spend 10 If we had... I mean, I make this joke. I did to him one day. I said, if we would have $20 million, you would spend 40 million. You'd find a way to double spend. I was just overextended, just worn out all the time, just trying to keep his image up. It was just absolutely awful. And, uh, and people don't have to live like that. That is not, that's not a marriage. And codependents and narcissists find each other in the dark. So be very careful about narcissists. That's a whole nother 
podcast for a whole nother day, but narcissists are selfish people and codependents are selfless. Do you see why these two personality types merge? And I even make it easier. I have a whole, um, like it's like a 20 point compare and contrast narcissist codependent and showing you how that attraction is so profound because narcissists love to be the center of attention and codependents love to please and help people mm -hmm. be the center of attention. So watch yeah. out. Yes, I, may, I make everything easy. It's easy. <laughs> now our time is almost up. Before we talk about where people can find you at, um, do you have one last little nugget that you want to share about codependency? Yes, it, it'll be really simple. Just learn to be yourself and learn to not, not react to any guilt you may feel. When you are totally and completely you, I was talking to some friends this weekend and it was my brother's high school reunion and they always asked me to go and we were talking about the family secrets and they know all the gory details of them. <laughs> and, and, and I said, you know, I'm so recovered from that now. It's taken me, it's six years to just be able to talk about it without feeling the triggers and all those mm -hmm. things. And I loved what um, my one friend said. She, she said, isn't it amazing when you just let your secrets out and you're just yourself? They just, she, she went just like this. She goes, poof, they just go away. They don't matter anymore. Mm -hmm. And I mean, look at look at celebrities like Oprah Winfrey that tell terrible things that have happened to them and terrible things they have gone through mm -hmm. themselves from their own, you know, their own choosing. I've I chose that husband. Yeah. I chose that. I chose to keep family secrets. I chose to cover up for people. I made those choices. So but when you let your truth out and you're just truly and completely yourself and you allow everyone else to be themselves, and you're not trying to fix everybody. Life gets so much better. Just be you, let everyone else be you. And that is how not to be codependent. If a narcissist asks too much of you, just look at him or her and say, you've asked too much of me. I, I'm not going to do it. Wow. That it's, is that so simple. True. it's that simple. <laughs> it's that simple, but putting sometimes putting it in place is hard. Yes, it is. Cause you have all that. Now the secret is everyone knows that's your biology. That's your physical body lying to you. Your body does not know the difference between fear and excitement. So what you feel is fear, get excited and say, no, you're going to, you know, it feels like fear. You go, no, I can't help you. And when you do that change, reframe that to I'm excited to get my life back. Yep. That is so true. So now tell people where they can find you on social media. I'm on social else. media. I'm on Facebook, and my last name is spelled J O Y E. And uh, I have, um, I do have a website. It's WinterhavenCounseling.com. I I do life coaching. Thank you. You have it right up there. And uh, I'm really easy to find on Google. Very easy because my name's spelled differently. You just type in Mary Joy Mental Health Counselor. You can just type in Mary Joy Codependent, and it will show up. <laughs> I yeah, make I it easy to find me. <laughs> I do want to ask, do you do telehealth? If somebody's like wherever, like across the country, would you be willing to work with someone like that? I do. I can do life coaching that way. Yes, I can do. I, I am allowed to do life coaching, especially with codependent things. I can't do counseling with insurance like that. But yes, I can coach people with codependency issues. But you're, we're only licensed in one state. So, you know, anything that requires clinical examination or things like that, I can't do. But yes, coaching with codependency or with other issues, you know, life issues that surround that. Yes. Yes. I love that. So, Mary, thank you so much for coming on. 
Her book, once again, is Codependent Discovery and Recovery 2.0, A Holistic Approach to Healing and Freeing Yourself. And I think I'm going to have to go back and reread this book after listening to your story. I mean, I read it, but you know, when you're in time crunch and you're trying to get it done, you, you want to get it done before you... Yes. Uh, you come on to interview the person, you kind of skim over some parts. So I'm going to back and re-dive into it now that I know your story because well, I, go think ahead, I'm I'm codependent. I think I'm a codependent. <laughs> well, we all, we all a little codependent. We all a little narcissism in us too. And if I could say one last thing, I love your sign behind you. It says, let all that you do be done in love. Beautiful. But also what did, we're supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves. So do unto yourself as you do unto others. And that will help. You were never meant to, to not love yourself. That's what I wish that one scripture were written. Um, that it, you know, it says love God and then love your neighbors yourself. I wish it would say, if you love yourself, you'll be able to love your neighbor better. Yeah. Yes. There that is, is so a lot. To, that's it. Doesn't mean you're being conceited. So I love that sign. So yes, let all that you do be done in love, even to yourself. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Melissa. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mary. And guys, I will put everywhere where you can find Mary, as well as where you can find the book and the show notes. And as always, be blessed. And most importantly, keep chatting. And we'll see you on the next chat from the blog cabin. Bye. Thank you. Bye bye. Chats from the Blog Cabin. We not only have voices for a podcast, but also faces for YouTube. Don't miss your next episode.